This is John Henry Weston for LifeSite News. We've got something very rare. Documents and testimony directly from bishops and a cardinal all about a case where they are refusing to issue a public statement supporting a clergy sexual abuse victim for fear of tarnishing the reputation of Pope Francis. This is one show you won't want to miss. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Sexual abuse of minors by clerics in the Catholic Church has been the cause of untold scandal and has resulted in much animosity toward the Church. However, the cover-up of such scandals, and especially the mistreatment of victims, is something that in many cases has upset the public even more. The cover-ups and victim mistreatment are nearly as hard to uncover as the atrocious incidents themselves. For the most part, if there are paper trails, they are buried deeply in confidential documents. Now, one well-known exception is Cardinal Godfrey Daniels, who was caught on tape telling a sexual abuse victim not to go public with the incestuous pedophilic abuse he suffered at the hands of his uncle, a bishop friend of the cardinals. Recently, however, a hearing of the UK government established independent inquiry into child sexual abuse has elicited testimony from two bishops replete with incriminating evidence on Cardinal Vincent Nichols the Archbishop of Westminster, and the President of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Both Portsmouth Bishop Philip Egan and Northampton Bishop Peter Doyle testify that Cardinal Nichols cajoled them into refusing to issue a statement in support of a known victim of sexual abuse who was being disparaged in Catholic media as non-credible and her claims as fantastical. Cardinal Nichols, the bishops testify, warned that any public statement issued by the bishops in support of the abuse victim would be used to bolster attacks on Pope Francis. The victim, a female given the code name A710 during the inquiry so as to conceal her identity, is a known clergy abuse victim. Some details of her case came out during the testimony of Vatican whistleblower Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, since the Pope intervened directly to halt an investigation into her claims of being abused by a cardinal, in addition to the abuse she suffered at the hands of Father Michael Hill. But more on that later. Both bishops, Egan and Doyle, testify that communications directors from both the Bishops' Conference, of, uh, of, of which Nichols is president, advised them against any public statement in favor of the victim, as it would lead to an attack on the Pope. Both also testify under oath that Cardinal Nichols himself had later intervened to confirm these fears of his conference's PR agents and that it was the Cardinal's intervention that convinced both bishops not to act for the abuse victim. 
In an email, Bishop Doyle sent to the victim, subpoenaed by the inquiry, the bishop explained why he was now refusing to honor the victim's request that a public statement be issued asserting her credibility. Referring to Cardinal Nichols, Bishop Doyle writes, and I quote, he said that the statement raised more questions which media agencies like LifeSite News in the States would take up in their campaign against the Holy Father. By the end of that conversation, I was convinced that a statement would not be the answer for us. Similarly, when asked how he understood the media reports on the case of the victim, Bishop Egan states, I saw it as an attempt to discredit the Holy Father actually because he was so connected at that time with the Vigano affair, um, it, it was, in a sense, accusing the Holy Father of manipulating appointments and covering up matters. Uh, I didn't see it as something directed directly at the victim. I mean, I, I wouldn't know who would want to, to do that, to be honest. But in another exchange, he says directly that it, he did in fact speak to Cardinal Nichols about this situation and the first thing that Cardinal Nichols mentioned was the Vigano affair. Have a look. Remind us, when you spoke to, I think you told us you spoke to Cardinal Nichols in Valladolid, did you actually speak to him? Uh, I did. Yeah. Um, and what concerns did he Yeah, voice? he immediately connected it to the Vigano. Right. However, when Cardinal Nichols himself comes to the stand, he vehemently rejects the assertion that his primary concern was trying to protect the reputation of the Pope and suggests rather that his overriding concern was for the victim. The adjudicator of the panels uh, of the panel challenges the Cardinal's assertion, assertions in this regard in a rather fascinating exchange. Have a look. Do you accept? that when Bishop Doyle is writing to A710 and saying that the focus of the conversation, not only with uh, the Bishop's Conference Director of Information and News, was targeted at and directed towards a campaign against the Pope, and <clears throat> reiterated by you and confirmed by you in a conversation with him subsequently, that he's accurate. That he's... He's being accurate. My conversation with him, as I remember, covered substantially the well-being of A710. Uh, I said earlier, in answer to your question, that that was not my sole concern, it was my substantial concern. And the conversation I had with Bishop Doyle was substantially about A710. It did not exclude the evident and obvious fact that further publicity would be used to attack Pope Francis. That certainly was part of our conversation. Which parts of that conversation Bishop Doyle chooses to report to A710 is for him and not for me? Well, let, let's have a look at what he says. The Cardinal asked what else he could do. He knows that neither you nor Angela think much of him, but he wondered whether you'd be willing to meet with Baroness O'Lone, the chair of the Catholic Council, and with him, but with the Baroness taking the lead in conversations with you. And then this, I hope that I have re represented accurately the sequence of events last week as background. And he attached a copy of the proposed statement for A710 to see. Now, what's missing 
in this email from a, a man who had known 710 for a very long time and had offered her pastoral support for many years and had continued to do so is the very thing that perhaps she would want to know is that the Cardinal, Cardinal Nichols, was actually more concerned or substantially, substantively concerned about her welfare rather than a campaign against the Pope. But that's the one thing that Bishop Doyle, who would have understood everything that 710 had wanted to hear, that is omitted in this email. Don't you find that odd? I can't answer for Bishop no, Doyle. But don't you find that odd? I don't you, know how he relates to her. If you said, if you had said all of this that you say to us, Cardinal, during the course of this conversation, don't you find it odd? It's Bishop Doyle's choice. I report our conversation accurately. Because on the face of this email, the concern was not substantively or otherwise about 710, not only in a conversation between you and Bishop Doyle, but also in a conversation with the Bishop's Conference Director of Information and News. Consistently it's, throughout this, my substantial concern has been for A710. Yeah, I haven't finished my question. I beg your pardon. It was all about the campaign against the Pope. Substantially throughout this, my substantial concern has been about A710. If I may add... Pope Francis is quite capable of looking after himself. The Cardinal's own testimony is not only contradicted by the other two bishops who took the stand, but also by a woman who worked in the Portsmouth Diocese as an advocate for abuse victims, a position called a safeguarding commissioner. Angela McGrory, in her testimony to the inquiry, was incensed at the mistreatment of the abuse victim, stating clearly that it was in the best interest of the victim to go forward with a statement. She wanted this statement, McGrory tells the inquiry of the victim. McGrory wrote to the victim saying, quote, you are suffering so much and, quote, you are physically declining because of a lack of positive action on the part of the church, end quote. Mrs. McGrory said that she could not understand the bishop's decision to refuse to issue a statement in support of the victim due to a possible threat to Pope Francis' reputation. I can't understand the advice that was given. I don't see that that should have prevented the church standing up for a victim. Because yeah. aren't we reading here that Cardinal Nichols and his... Uh, director of information and news, Alexander Desforge, weren't they putting the reputation of the church before all else? That's what I, I read as well, and that was why I was very surprised it was passed to Westminster when it had been passed to Portsmouth. I wasn't copied into it being passed to Portsmouth, no. so I don't know who shared it with Westminster, but I thought that would have been a likely outcome as soon as Westminster. McGrory notes that the victim pleaded for a statement from the bishops detailing her credibility. And now we come to the most damning evidence against Cardinal Nichols and the non-action of the bishops in question. And that is the words of the clergy sexual abuse victim herself. The inquiry reproduces a letter from the victim dated May of this year, with her name redacted, of course, and the victim strongly criticized the suggestion that a public statement by the bishops apologizing to her and supporting her credibility might further harm her. She says, and I quote, 
the church has allowed public leaks of a very confidential document written at its request and entrusted to its care, then left me for seven months to manage the outfall. And now its publicity department is saying that to put that right publicly will cause me more harm than the church's own neglect, abuse, and the already published derogatory comments in the Catholic press in several parts of the world? That feels like an insult. End quote. But what is likely the most damning part of this whole affair is that the victim was begging for this public statement from her bishop in order to assist her to come back into a right relationship with the church. Without a statement attesting to her credibility, she says, she could not finish her therapy and adds, and I quote, I will not have any chance of reconnecting with the church or faith. End quote. The victim's letter says with regard to Cardinal Nichols, and I quote, anyone who knows what I have been put through by Vincent Nichols would not be giving him yet another chance to delay my therapeutic journey and disrupt my life, while denying me the one thing I need to move on. End quote. That's just unbelievable. But there's more to this story. What indeed are Cardinal Nichols and the two bishops trying to conceal about Pope Francis? What is it that has them so concerned about an attack on Pope Francis that they'd be willing to refuse to assist a clergy sexual abuse victim? Well, it's this. Remember the leaked reports that early in Pope Francis's reign, he personally halted a Vatican investigation into sexual abuse perpetrated by a cardinal? That cardinal was none other than Cormac Murphy O'Connor who, by all accounts, was very instrumental in electing Pope Francis. He is the same cardinal who victim A710 alleges abused her. LifeSite confirmed with very high-ranking sources in the Vatican that while he was celebrating Mass for a group of people, Cardinal Gerhard Müller, who was at the time the head of the Congregation for Doctrine of Faith, was interrupted during Mass by his secretary, telling him that the Pope was calling him on the phone. When the Cardinal asked his secretary if he had informed Pope Francis that he was in the middle of celebrating Mass, the secretary said that he had told the Pope that, but the Pope insisted on speaking with the Cardinal immediately nonetheless. So in the sacristy on the phone, Cardinal Mueller was told by the Pope to stop the investigation into Cardinal Cormac Murphy O'Connor. Pope Francis's blocking of that investigation is not only hearsay, I confirmed it with Cardinal Mueller himself. It was in October of 2018 when I met up with Cardinal Mueller at a Napa conference in Washington, D.C. When I asked about that incident at the altar, the Cardinal told me he was, quote, bound by pontifical secret. But he added this, quote, that the Pope's approval is required for investigations of a cardinal. I informed him that some of the news reports were suggesting that he had indeed completed the investigation rather than that the investigation was interrupted and prevented from continuing. I asked the cardinal if he would at least go on the record to indicate that the investigation was stopped rather than completed 
and he agreed and said yes. The conclusion of this sad tale is this. This abuse victim made her request for a hearing into these new allegations of abuse by Cardinal Cormac Murphy O'Connor in 2009, a decade ago. And despite Cardinal Nichols' testimony that it was investigated, and fairly so, the other two bishops disagree and sent a joint letter to the cardinal asking him to reopen her case. In his sworn testimony, Cardinal Nichols claims that the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith had closed the case of A710 in 2011, thus implying that the Pope did not stop it in 2013. However, the other two bishops ask him for the reopening of the case, and I quote, I was going to ask Cardinal Vincent, says Egan in his testimony, if he would reopen and re-examine this case and see what could be done to help the person concerned, end quote. Check out this letter that Bishops Egan and Doyle wrote, this joint letter, um, on Egan's letterhead to Nichols in May 2019. Egan writes about the witness, quote, I have to say that regardless of the remarkable nature and contents of the allegations made, I found nothing to suggest that she was not a very genuine and credible witness. In fact, she came over to me as entirely sincere and convincing in her statements, end quote. He also admits in that document, quote, with regard to her case, the Church's own policies and procedures, which are very clear, have not been followed correctly. We are writing, therefore, to request that her case be once again reviewed and an investigation undertaken." End quote. Egan testified that Cardinal Nichols didn't even respond to the letter. And finally, in the interests of full disclosure, I should tell you that LifeSite News is brought up several times in this hearing. Remember, LifeSite News was used by Cardinal Nichols and the PR folks as the threat to the bishops that should they speak in defense of the abuse victim, her case would surely be used to attack Pope Francis. And there is another exchange that actually couldn't help leave me with a smile, and it was this. Cardinal Nichols was asked how he could have missed a key LifeSite story on the case. In part of his response, he says this, I can only add, I'm not an avid reader of LifeSite News, end quote, to which the questioner follows with, no, but presumably you've heard of LifeSite News before, and the cardinal responds, oh yes. I can only add, I'm not an avid reader of LifeSite News. No, but presumably you've heard of LifeSite News before. Oh yes. You see, my friends, this business of reporting, of reporting the news, of investigating and digging into these cases is arduous work that goes on on weekends and late into the night after very long days. I am so very proud of the whole team at LifeSite News that work very hard to bring the truth to light. And in this case, especially to Dr. Micah Hickson, without whom I could not have done this report. The journalists, videographers, editors, marketers, development, the youth work and management, and all at LifeSite do what they can. Yes, they do it for unborn babies. Yes, for victims of sexual abuse. Yes, to support families, but 
first and foremost for Christ and to bring souls to Christ through his truth. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you.